Well, good morning, everyone. It's a great day, great day here. Um, boy, the uh, the outdoors was just breathtaking today. I, it was so cold, <laughs> breathtaking in that way, uh, but also uh, just so beautiful. Um, just, I just drove the couple minutes it takes me to get here and just so uh, truly awestruck by the beauty of that. I was thinking about these words that we we're singing this morning too. Um, the, the beauty of being redeemed, the beauty uh, of knowing that Jesus is the one who's done that. That's, I don't know if you noticed, but almost every single song, I think every single song we sang today was about, was about Jesus. And this final song is about what Jesus does in our lives. He redeems us. And um, I mean, just what a, what a powerful reality. We're so used to it. It's like living in Chautauqua County and seeing snow, you know? It's like, well, yeah, we're used to that. We know that. But then you have a moment like I did this morning where it's just, just takes your breath away and you realize this is incredibly beautiful. And we, we get that experience when we have friends uh, come to us from um, uh, Cuba or Haiti or uh, Uganda or places like that where... Um, <laughs> they go, snow, this is crazy. I've never seen this before. And, um, and uh, are truly uh, taken by it. We're reminded uh, of the beauty of what God has done in our lives. That's powerful. Um, I do want to uh, just uh, say a prayer this morning. Uh, we got uh, informed yesterday. By the way, yesterday, uh, marriage retreat. Um, I thought it was just a wonderful, powerful experience. So thankful to have been there Great time with great people, great teaching. Um, so we'll do it again sometime if you uh, miss this one. Um, but while we were there, we got uh, a message that um, uh, Greg and Kathy Benson, who are um, missionaries down in Haiti, the house that they run down there, that they coordinate, and that mission are, we've sent mission trips there. I've been there. Many people from our church uh, have been there. And Emma and Ann Tempest. Uh, were there this this week? Um, that house burned yesterday, um, or or late the night before. Um, everyone is okay. Uh, there were some uh, issues of smoke inhalation. Emma and Anne have actually returned um, home super super late last night. Um, but we just want to lift up that ministry in prayer. Um, it's a really devastating thing. Um, just a real challenge uh, to lose that kind of. Uh, facility and just the shock of it. So let's just, let's just pray for our friends in Haiti right now. Lord, you know all the folks involved. You know the missions group that was there from another church. You know uh, Emmett and Anne and um, what they went through. You know uh, Greg and Kathy and um, the loss of personal items, the loss of your personal space, um, just the, the loss of your clothing. Um, God, it's just a, a devastating experience. We pray for them. We pray that you will um, bring somehow good out of this. We ask that you will allow them to rebuild, that the ministry will continue. We pray that you will encourage them. We pray that there will be a strong sense of your presence and your peace there. And we pray that your will will be done in Haiti and that um, the work that we have been a part of and that others are a part of as well, that it would be honored there and uh, that you would be glorified even in the midst of this uh, difficult tragedy. We pray that your will will be done. And um, 
that more people will find out about Jesus and find out about that new person growing in them, that new uh, state of redemption that they can be in. Uh, We lift this mission to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to read to you this morning from uh, Mark chapter 1. Just a short little section. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39. This is actually, this has become one of my uh, more favorite little sections of Scripture uh, in the last several years. And um, uh, I actually preached on this uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Um, But I'm going to take a different tack today. Um, Mark chapter 1. Verses 35 through 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Lord, we're so grateful for your word You place it before us. You give us this word from you, which you have brought through human hands to us today. We pray that you will bless it, that your truth will shine, that you will receive the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about a little uh, trip I took in a canoe um, probably, I think it was my first summer that I was here. I don't know if I told you about this or not, but I um, got up early one morning. Now, some of you folks are, you guys are troopers, and you get up at like 4.30 and things like that. That's not me, okay? I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not there. So when I say I got up early, I mean I got up at 5.45, and that was like super early for me. Super, super early. And uh, I went down to the lake, had a, have a canoe down there, and I put the canoe in. It was uh, summertime. It was very foggy. And uh, I just uh, paddled straight off of um, the shore. And uh, I paddled out, and I was, I was like, okay, straight out there, that's Tom's point, right? So I'll try to keep it a little left, and I'm sure I'll, I'll hit the shore. So within five minutes of paddling, I could no longer see anything, Anything at all. It was just pure fog. And when I was out there, I was like, you know, I don't really know where I am. I mean, I know I'm in Bemis Bay. And I'm feeling pretty secure about that. But I don't really know beyond that. And it was, I can't describe to you. I went out there that morning because I needed to so much. I just needed some time alone. I needed to be with God. And in the middle of the lake, in this dense fog, I was just hanging out with Jesus. I also thought that I was paddling straight. And pretty soon, after maybe 
15 minutes of kind of just keeping at it. Maybe it was 20 minutes. Yeah, it was probably 20 minutes. I finally saw a shoreline in front of me. I thought, wow, this is, this is it. Oh, I've gone a little further left than I thought. I saw a patrol boat, you know, the sheriff's boat out there. And I thought, wait, I'm, I'm way over by, um, getting close over uh, uh, by where the ferry is. You know, the patrol boat's there. And I got closer. And I'm like, this doesn't look like the ferry. It was Long Point. In the middle of that fog, I had gone like that. Even though I thought I was going left, it was, it was weird. But, it was, but let me tell you, it was, it was a little disconcerting because I like to think that I have a good sense of direction. But far better than that, it was just this quiet time with God. It was just this solitude with God. I needed to go out and waste some time with Jesus. That's the premise of this sermon today. Waste some time with Jesus. You're not going to hear that very often, are you, in our world? We've uh, been exploring the good life. The good life as we've uh, been defining it, as uh, found in, in following God and practicing the spiritual disciplines. We've been listening to the call of God on our lives. And many people have been coming up to Pastor Kristen and me and saying, wow, this is so helpful. I'm really, this is helpful to talk about these different practices that we can do that, that really help us um, connect with God. And so we've talked about meditation. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about study. We've talked about simplicity. And today we're going to go even deeper Psalm 42, 7 says, deep calls to deep. And Richard Foster notes in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, upon which we're, we're using all these, uh, this is from the, the book from which we're getting these spiritual disciplines. Perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You've become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching Every now and then you've caught glimpses, hints of something more than you have known, and inwardly you long to launch out into the deep. So today we're going to look at launching out into the depth of another spiritual discipline, the discipline of solitude. I uh, was sitting on the couch this morning going over my notes, and uh, Emily walks down the stairs and goes, Happy Valentine's Day. And I'm like, yay, happy Valentine's I'm preaching on solitude on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I thought, well, this is sort of a vindication for all those out there who kind of are annoyed by Valentine's Day for any reason. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And now go get alone somewhere. Solitude, solitude. I knew that I needed solitude because I've had some pretty great experiences in my life. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm actually an extrovert. That's probably news for lots of you. <laughs> I love connecting with people, and I, love, uh, I get a lot of energy from being with people. So I'm not a person who's always sort of trying to get off uh, alone by myself. That's kind of a challenge for me. But there have been times in my life when I've been given that opportunity, and God sort of um, helped me sort of lean into that. I remember even when I was in junior high, my parents, uh, behind their house, there's a bank that goes down to a creek, and uh, you can go way up the creek, and 
One day I went way up the creek and there was this big boulder. I had never seen it before. Really big one, one that I could lie down on top of and stretch out on top of. And that became a place for me over the next probably you know, six months or so that I would just go. I would just go and sit on that boulder. And I mean, this is Bill. I'm Mr. Extrovert. And yet, going and talking to God sitting on the boulder was just, mm, there's something about it. I did it several times. It was meaningful. When I was um, entering college, I did something called the Highlander. It's uh, sort of this pre-freshman outdoor orientation experience. And we did this thing called the Solo. And so what they did is they basically dragged you out into the woods and made you backpack for a while. And then they brought you to this, this place where they set us all out in these places. We couldn't see each other. We were placed far away from each other. And they set you down there at about... Seven o'clock at night, and they gave you three matches and a corn cob. Good luck. And that's what we had. And I, and we, I sat there all night. They sat there all the next day, and all the next night they came and they got me. The next morning, I want you to know that I failed to make a fire with my three matches. It's been one of the great failures that plagues me in my life. Being an outdoors person, I always like to believe I could do it, and I totally failed. But I ate a raw corn, piece of corn, and I want you to know that it was pretty good after a while. <clears throat> Sitting there alone, there was something going on that was really meaningful. I was just really, really thankful for that. Later, I took a class in um, medieval history, and the professor said, we're all going to the monastery, the monastery over by Geneseo, Abbey of the Genesee, and we're going we're gonna to spend kind of the day over there, hanging out with monks. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and yet, that was, that was a great experience. It was such a good experience that I went back on my own and spent two days there, two days and two nights, just hanging out with these guys whose whole life is hanging out with God. I, you know, I used to think, you know, what, what are they doing? How about this? They're praying. Like throughout the day, all day long, seriously praying for the world. It was so powerful to be there. There were a few sort of communal moments when we'd gather for prayer or, or worship, but most of it was alone, just spending time with God. Richard Foster writes, through our solitude, an, an open inner space has been created through which God finds us. And here I just want to say, the call of God is to make space for God. Make space for God. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? I mean, isn't God everywhere? Yes. But you know, sometimes in our own lives, we've put up some barriers. This is sort of a a showing up and saying, God, I'm just going to create some space for you in my life. Jesus did this all the time. He used solitude to make space for God in his life. In Matthew chapter 4, just before he started his ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert by himself, praying and fasting. In Luke chapter 6, he spent a night alone before he chose who the 12 disciples would be. In Matthew chapter 14, after he had found out that his cousin John the Baptist had been uh, murdered, Jesus went to a lonely place 
to be with the Lord alone. In Matthew 14 also, after feeding the 5,000, it says Jesus went up into the hills by himself. In Mark chapter 6, after the 12 disciples had returned from preaching and healing, Jesus instructed them, not just said, you know, hey, I've had this experience in my life, maybe you ought to check it out too. He said, I'm your master, go do this. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place. Wow, Jesus is commanding this kind of stuff. Luke chapter 5, after healing a leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And of course, Matthew chapter 26, as he was preparing for his greatest and most holy of ministries, the, the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to find that solitude that was there. Make space for God. Jesus did it. Wouldn't that be an indication that it's worth it? In our passage today that we read, Jesus has been busy ministering to the people in Capernaum. He's started his ministry. This is really the first place. It's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's right near Cana where he had his first miracle. And now he's kind of gone down the hill and gone down to the shore. And he's hanging out in Capernaum. He's making this the, the center of his Galilean ministry. And he's been busy. He cast a demon out of a guy at the local synagogue. That's pretty cool. I mean, that must have been quite the experience. Everyone shows up. Everyone's like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, this is a sign of mercy on Jesus' part. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. That's a, that's a family dynamic right there, don't you think? And that's good. He also healed many diseases and many who were uh, oppressed by demons. But then... Very early the next morning, he gets up and goes someplace quiet to find a place to pray. Now, I've been to Capernaum. I was there last year. It doesn't take long to exit this small village and be kind of out into the hills. And I'm sure Jesus just walked out of town and walked up into the hills a little ways. So he was up on the side of the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee says he went to find solitude and to pray. Now, he was intentional about that. He was, he was making that a part of his agenda. He had put it on his calendar. This is something important to do. He prioritizes it. And he makes it a habit, as we noticed before. He makes it a habit to do this on many occasions. And what I think is also interesting about this is that he chooses a physical place to go. He's willing to walk a little to get there. He, he says, I'm going to this place out here, outside, in the hills. He finds a place in nature and just plants himself there and hangs out with God, wastes some time with God. It wasn't on the internet surfing, you know. He wasn't flipping through to the, the TV channels. He was wasting time in the best way with God. I want to suggest to you that unlike what our culture pushes upon us constantly, that production and practicality are not the primary goals in life. Wow! I mean, when I say that, that is truly counterculture. That is opposite of what I say to my kids all the time. Hurry up. Do it faster. 
We got to get this done, blah, blah, blah. Production and practicality are not the primary goals in life. Being with God. Which then, of course, helps you be productive and allows you, if you're a good practical person, to put all that practicalness into good work. And, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But friends, getting the to-do list done is not the primary purpose of life. I hope that you find that freeing more than downright annoying. If you do find it downright annoying, this could be a great sermon for you in terms of freedom. And your best intentioned friends will question you every time that you decide to put a little time aside to waste with Jesus. Absolutely. Peter comes rolling out there. Where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. You have tasks to do here, Jesus. There's still more people to be preached to. There's more people who are wanting to be healed. There's more demons to be cast out. Does that sound familiar? Not the casting out demons part so much, but everyone is looking for you. Parents, have you ever experienced that? Coworkers. People who are busy, all of us, you ever experience everyone is looking for you? You seem to be wasting some valuable time out here, Jesus. I remember my friend uh, Rick when I uh, told him that I was going to go um, hike the Appalachian Trail for six and a half months. And uh, Rick and I did prison ministry together, and he said to me, there's a lot of guys in prison that have prison ministry to do, Bill. Are you doing the right thing? It made me stop and think. But you know what? The call of God was on my life to go do that. I can't explain that, but I can just tell you that it was absolutely what God wanted me to do. And it changed my life to spend that time with the Lord in the woods. And to Rick's credit... When he asked me that question, he asked it, I listened, I explained to him what I sensed God was calling me to do. He listened, and to his credit, he gave me his backpacking stove to take with me. <laughs> so he supported me, but he asked that hard question. And friends, when, you, when we decide to waste some time with God, we will be challenged on that because it is pro pro profoundly countercultural. After he spends time in solitude, Jesus is empowered to do a great many things. He chooses the 12 disciples. He goes out. He's, in this particular passage, he, he goes out to preach in other villages, to heal and drive out demons and to do all the rest. He's empowered, but he has to, he has to have that time with the Lord in order to have that power. Richard Foster notes that solitude brings proper perspective. It helps us to ignore the rat race. Has the rat race captured you? Are you on a little wheel going like this as fast as you can in the cage of your life? Solitude helps us ignore that, to rise above it. It helps us to let go of our need to produce, our need to win, our need to attain stuff, to get more and be more and accomplish more. 
it sort of stops us and helps us go, oh, okay, what's the big, big picture? It gives us compassion for others. We see people in a new way when we've been with God. And we can just kind of look at the world and they become less of an impediment to my to-do list and more of someone to be served. Once again, Foster, our real task when we go on a retreat to be with God is to create a space in our lives where God can reach us. Once that space has been created, we wait quietly, expectantly. And from this point on, listen to this, from this point on, the work belongs to God. Wow, that, that to me is such great news. What he's saying is, just get alone with God and then just go, okay, God, it's up to you. Do your work in me. And you know what? It's a great time to pray. It's a great time to maybe tell God if you're frustrated or angry. It's a great time to just rest. There's many things that can be that can happen there in that solitude. See, I almost said that can be accomplished. See how it's so hard. But the work is up to God at that point. And this is weird. It's countercultural. Many of us keep the radio on or the television on or something like that on in the background all the time while we work. Just seems like we ought to have music or some sort of little noise. Our fear of being alone often drives us to include noise in our lives or to race from crowd to crowd so that we never have to be by ourselves. Spending time in solitude and silence, that's a hard sell in our culture. But um, it's the kind of thing God calls us to do. I mean, who else encourages you to waste time? Only God. I don't mean wasting time on the internet. I mean sitting and hanging out with God. What feels like a waste, but when reality is a connection. Our fear of what other people think of us is a huge impediment to this. We attempt to justify ourselves before others all the time. I do this all the time. I, I'm going to do something, and let me tell you 15 reasons why. Because it makes sense. See, I'm not wasting time. I'm not making a foolish decision here. I've thought this out. Let me tell you why. What am I doing? I'm trying to justify myself. What if we just listen to God despite what others think? Or how about this? What if we just let God be our justifier and we didn't worry about having to do it ourselves? That's probably the hardest word for me to hear this morning. What would it be like for me to just do what I know God is calling me to do and not try to justify it to everyone else? I'm going to do something here that I have uh, never done in a sermon before. Am I, uh, Kyle, are, are we going to be able to do this? He's, he's giving me the, the thumbs up. I, I want to encourage us to have a little solitude. Yes, even here in the middle of a group. You know that Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mother, had 21 children. 19, I believe, uh, made it to adulthood. 
She used to sit on a chair in the middle of the kitchen with a tablecloth over her for one hour every day. And all the kids knew, don't mess with mom when she's under the tablecloth. She was not alone in the sense that there were people around, but she was in solitude because she needed to be there for her own soul's sake. That's, uh, that solitude affected early Methodism. I'm convinced that when I think about Francis Asbury riding 250,000 miles on horseback over the course of probably 50-some years, I don't remember exactly how long he was in ministry, but he rode on horseback across America. He rode up and down and all over basically the, the eastern seaboard, everywhere, again and again and again. Do you know how much time that guy stood, sat on the back of a horse, just going along the solitude he had with God? That, I think, was a powerful thing. Well, we're going we're gonna to provide us with a little solitude here. It's um, a picture of a river and the sound. Oh, can we do it? Can we get the video? If we get the video, great. If we don't, just close your eyes. We're going to listen to this for two minutes. Hang in there, friends. Just soak it in.
How does that feel? use a little bit more of that in your life? I mean, we're sitting in a room with a lot of people. But that's a powerful thing. I just want to give you a few thoughts about how you can do this in everyday life. I want to suggest to you that There are a whole bunch of little solitudes throughout our day. That first minute or so when you lie in your bed before you get out. That five minutes or so you have to sit on a chair and drink a cup of coffee before you run out the door. That time in the car I know there's other cars around and you have to pay attention but it's a good place to be with God capturing those little solitudes that are in our lives super powerful another is to find a little space I had a friend Michelle When I was at seminary, she lived in an apartment with her husband, Troy. They had a little nook in the corner. It was Michelle's chair. She would go sit there every day, spend some time with God. That's a great thing to do. Just a little place for you. For some of you, it might be get on your cross-country skis and go out there to Long Point. For some of you, it's sitting by a fire. For some of you, it's just getting into the broom closet at work for five minutes with the mops. And that might be what you need. Whatever that is, find a little place. Try to do something without justifying it to anyone. That will teach you to connect with God or try to live an entire day without any words warn your family first (laughs) try it sometime or take three or four hours a couple times a year to sit and to reorient your goals for life Or take a retreat once a year. Head someplace where you can just be by yourself. A monastery or some other place. Don't just shy away from this because maybe you've never tried it. Or you thought, boy, listening to a river flow for two minutes was kind of boring. Try this. Go waste some time with Jesus. Go make some space in your life for God. Just get away any way you can, anywhere you can, and don't worry. Once you get there, God will do the work. Let's pray. Lord, those callings in our our lives 
the calling that you place there to be with you. When we're honest, that's real. We sense that. But we also recognize that we live very fast-paced lives. And the challenge to be obedient to that calling is strong. We pray that in the same way that we would take seriously skipping a meal by fasting or being intentional about prayer or trying to live a more simple life or many of the other spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about, we pray that we will take seriously the call to spend some time with you, Lord Jesus, just alone in solitude. Amen. Dismissed, <laughs> but go in peace. <laughs> And Kristen's reminding me of my plans. If you'd like to uh, hang out here,